0: first off welcome to the mentors military podcast it was nick goldsmith who actually um connected me with you and i'm just really curious mike how is it that you know nick in the first place he was back on episode 275 for those who might be looking
1: uh so i know him as goldie and i i had the pleasure of meeting him at the marine corps trials in 2014 i think it was either 13 or 14 um, and the tri- Marine Corps trials are our qualifier for the Warrior Games. And what, what the Marine Corps does is they bring other uh, wounded service members from different countries in to compete with us so that they can get somewhat of a similar experience. Like um, besides the Royal Marines, we had the Dutch were there, uh, the French, Colombians, uh, the Georgians. Uh, I I know I'm I'm forgetting one, but I can't think off the top of my head what it was, who they were. Oh, the Australians were there, and I I know I'm missing one, because there was a group that like kind of like stayed all to themselves and and didn't really uh, mingle with all the other branches of service, and it, it was it's, it was a great time, and um. <clears throat> I've made lifelong friends. Like I I still talk to uh some of the people from Australia uh at least once or twice a month. Goldie, I talk to him at least two to three times a month. He gives me updates on uh his nonprofit and how well it's doing over there. Yeah. And then I give him updates on how I'm doing here and like COVID before COVID hit, we were actually planning on um he wanted to come and go camping in northern michigan to see what northern michigan looked like okay. and then on the flip side i was gonna me and my wife and family we were gonna go travel to england and go spend a week with him on his farm or a ranch or what i don't know i guess it's a farm yeah that's probably how he would describe it as yeah. a farm so that's, that's
0: yeah, how I met Yeah, it's, it's kind of sucks you did get a chance to do that. You know, he came on the podcast, and we talked a lot about uh, what he's doing over there. One of our co-hosts, which is uh, – his name is Scott Johnson. He actually lives in Wales. They know each other quite well. Scott's been to a mm-hmm. couple of his little adventures that he has there, you know, um, over the weekend and, and where they camp out and – Do a little bushmaster stuff and uh, sit around the campfire and swap stories, all that kind of good stuff. So yeah,
1: Goldie's done some of that stuff with me because I've, I've, you know, it's bushcraft is something that's always intrigued me, Mm -hmm. and it's like part of the allure of joining the military, right? Like being out in the field and having to survive off your own skills. And I like I talk to him all the time about, hey, what's the best way for me to make a fire starter? What's the best way for me to do? x y and z and he's always got an answer he's never with not without an answer it's yeah. amazing
0: well it's good that i've got him on speed dial because if you know the end of the world ever comes and we lose anything <laughs> <laughs> I, I know somebody i'm connected with you know him and yeah. uh, mike glover of Philcraft survival you know those two guys they're uh they're in very similar industries and stuff. And it's really cool that what he's doing over there, he's making a major difference in the platform and the way in which he's going about yeah. doing it. I know he's talked about the desire to really bring that thing forward to the U.S. i S I'd love to see him do it because it's different than just, you know, teaching it's there's a whole coach mentoring aspect of this whole thing.
1: You know, and well, I, I think, I think the biggest thing that he with what he does is, um, if he were to bring, say, Royal Marines, to the states, and then get a group of uh, veterans here together with them, and for everyone to understand, like, look, we're thousands of miles apart, and we're still dealing with the same same, same experiences yep. and the same trauma and the same troubles, and like, you, someone over there may deal with it differently than we do. And it may end up helping somebody, or you're just like me and Goldie. I have a friend for life now that yeah. I would have never have met without if it wasn't for the, the Marine Corps trials.
0: So, what started you off in the Marine Corps in the first place? Was it something that you grew up in a military family, or?
1: Uh, so, my grandfather, he was a he's a World War II veteran, uh, Marine Corps. He did four amphibious landings. One on Tinian, one on Saipan, wow. and then two on Iwo Jima. What? So he goes, he lands Iwo Jima the first time, survives, miracle, right? Gets, does his cycle, gets back to the boat. They give him his steak dinner. Soon as they're done, his unit is sent back. They're like, "Hey, good job. Now you got to <laughs> go back again." Like. <laughs> Nick-
0: they sent him back and gave him a steak dinner, at least, before they sent him yeah, back. Yeah, at least to...
1: yeah, That's, that's he goes, at least I got steak dinner out of it. Like, okay.
0: <laughs> what um, stories did it's... he share?
1: Well, that is the crazy part, because until you reach, like, the age of 18, he didn't really open up too much. No, like, sure. he would talk to us about um, Semper Fi and the Spirit of Core and all that stuff. But he really didn't go too much into World War II until, like, I was—I think I was 17 years old when I told him, I was like, hey, I'm going to join. Yeah. And he goes, okay, well, let me tell you this story. And he was an artilleryman on 75-millimeter pack howitzers. And there were three batteries set up. There was two Marine Corps and one Army, of course. And uh, (laughs) the Army one ended up getting overran. And... His his commanding officer and the commanding officer of the other battery commanded him to lower the barrels level to the deck and start firing directly at the, the Japanese charging the so nest.
0: Direct fire, yeah, instead of indirect.
1: Direct fire, just hammer away at them. And my grandfather's when he died at ninety two, he was six foot one, two hundred eighty pounds. Whoa! So he's a he is a large man with meat hooks, like. When he would shake your hand it would completely engulf engulf yours. And so what he was doing was grabbing the the, the shells, loading them with one hand and firing in the howitzer and fighting off Japanese with a E tool in his other hand. Dang. I mean, so like and, and You can't make so those happen. No. And and that, that was like I wanted to like from the first first story for him telling me that story like even before like all the leatherneck magazines in the house that, that were always there reading all the stories and those like the only thing I ever wanted to do was be in ring. like even in high school when my coach my football coaches and all that they you know I had some promise to play at the next level in college but I told him I was like. I, I don't care. I, I'm. I was like. I literally play sports to help keep my grades up so I graduate and can go into the Marine Corps. Because at the time, the the Marines were only taking high school graduates. Yeah. So and that was two thousand was the first time I tried going in.
0: First time you tried. I, yes. So what happened? You caught that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do so, tell.
1: Uh, <laughs> So that, as all great stories begin, so there I was at Paris Island, um, training day thirty, and uh,
0: so you actually made it through maps, everything, ASVAB, physical. Get, I was you at were, the island. You were at I Paris was there.
1: I was there at Paris Island, uh, Fox Company, Platoon Twenty Eighty Five. Um, we started out with hundred and five kids. By the time I got dropped at the rifle range. Uh, we were down to eighty four. And I got dropped because I had no clue I was allergic to fire ants.
0: No and way.
1: Fire ants of all things. Fi- of all things, them little buggers. So not sand uh, fleas
0: that are just, you know, roaming there like crazy.
1: Yeah, not sand fleas, not no seal like fire ants. So we're there first day of the rifle range, doing our morning, our daily seven. And I get down to go do to do our push-ups, and my hand was on a small hill, and I was about to move it, but I saw out of the corner of my eye the drill instructor coming up coming up the road behind me. So I'm mm-hmm. like,
0: Don't you dare let not, that hand! I'm not hands. moving. Yeah,
1: I'm not moving. So <laughs> do the push-ups, do all that stuff, and halfway through the put like push-ups, they had gotten up to about like just right above the knuckle like that bone on your on your wrist. So are we talking like and, a swarm or just a few? Yeah, no, like probably a, a pretty good amount. Okay. Um but as soon as I moved they bit me and I shook them off and I brushed them off and I was like, oh you know, just like trying to get them off my hands as fast as possible so nobody noticed. And did uh ran my ran my three mile come down and we're in the cooldown circle. And I thought something was crawling on my back. I thought I had ants on my back. And I broke, broke rank, got out of the cooldown circle, went to my squad leader, and I pulled my shirt up. I was like, is there ants on my back? He goes, No, I don't know what's going on with your back. He grabs me. We go over to the drone instructors. They were about to just lay into us, and he just turns me around. And my one drone instructor, he's like, Oh crap. Well, expletives. And uh, <laughs> threw me o- threw me over his shoulder, ran me over to the safety vehicle, threw me in the back of the safety vehicle, and at that time, my <clears throat> I was started going into anaphylactic shock. So my start my throat's starting to close. Last thing I remember is them getting me to base medical, um, not the BAS. It was I think it was uh, it was the bigger it was the bigger medical facility on the base, but it wasn't the hospital. So they had enough equipment there to be able to trach me and all that stuff to to keep my airway open and then I woke up like 3 days later in the hospital.
0: Oh, you had a bad. Man, I got oh I got bit by 100%. a wasp. 100%. I got bit by a wasp one time, felt the same type of effect, well, was multiple wasp and I told my family I'm like you got to get me now to the hospital. Same thing, I'm on leave down in uh, Florida and they rushed me off to the uh the bass and stuff and as soon as they heard what what happened they gave me this shot and it's just like that throat cleared yep. up i started breathing i was like what the hell is that you know and yeah, evidently I was, i'm supposed to carry one of those all the time i never <laughs> i never do
1: <laughs> yeah i was i was way past the epi pen stage yeah. i was yeah and i woke up and bring my grandfather back to the back to the story Uh, They got me in the separations platoon. And all of a sudden, here come the drill instructors, like Madman, as usual, calling my name, screaming for me. And I stand up. They grab me. They throw me in camis. They're IPing my camis, getting all the Irish pennants off. And I'm like, what is going on? They're like, you need to see the CG. What did you do? And I'm like, only thing I had thought of, my grandfather wrote a letter. And because my grandfather was notorious, notorious. When he was upset about something, he wrote a letter to his congressman, to his senator, to anyone, anyone that would listen. He wrote a letter. And as soon as it got in front of the general, he goes, do you know an Edward Towitz? And I go, sir, I want to apologize right now for whatever my grandfather may have written in his letter to you. Um... I know they can be a little harsh at times, and it was his letter was br- absolutely brutal to the point where uh, the commanding general felt like he was failing me as my as my as my officer Holy as my cow, commanding Mike. officer. Because um, my grandfather like opens his opening sentences. Did did the meaning of semper fidelis change? in 20 years or 30 years however since hit the time he served i was like (laughs) oh my god i love it
0: (sighs) but it's not good but it's
1: it's awesome no but it's but it's (laughs) i mean that that's the type of that's the type of man he was he was so brutally honest that he he didn't like to sugarcoat things because he didn't want to get anything lost in translation sure and, it, and it's and he treated everyone like that. Everyone, my cousins, in-laws, uncles, dad, like everyone. Like if you if you got on his bad side, which it was really hard to do. If you got there, you knew because he didn't like to beat around the bush. He laid it out there. And luckily, I had only been on the receiving end like a couple times. But it was bad enough for me not to want to be on that ever again. So you're standing in
0: front of the old man, the CG of all people. Yeah, on stars. the carpet.
1: So on the carpet.
0: What what happened then after you told him that?
1: Um, he asked me if there's anything he could do. That's how that's how uh impacted my grandfather's letter was. It, it, he was trying to figure out if there's anything he could do, and I said, Sir, unless you can get the Navy Med board to change their mind on your, their decision of discharging me. There's nothing you can do. So they were going to
0: discharge you because you're allergic to fire ants. Fire ants.
1: Yeah, because of the severity of the reaction. Not just because I was allergic, because I went in anaphylactic shock. So they felt that I was a bad enough risk to send home. But luckily, they gave me an RE3P reenlistment code, which means that as long as I got cleared by a civilian doctor, I could rejoin, which took me 10 years to do.
0: What? Okay, so I get it. You know, they're they're saying there's risk here, concern, everything else. But then they're saying, "Oh, but we're gonna let you go. You can go see a civilian doctor, right. go through the channels again, which probably they're assuming you're not gonna go do and go through all that trouble." But right. but instead of just seeing somebody who specializes in this in the corps or in the navy, right? To say, "Oh, no, he's good to go. He'll be all right."
1: You know. so now there's they have since made a change in their um, regulations for situations like that uh, because at the time if you if you didn't graduate boot camp you you weren't a marine you weren't considered a service member now if you get to training day 30 you do get VA benefits so if I would have today's standards yeah. If if it would have happened to me in today's standards, I'd have been able to go to the VA, get it paid for, uh, get all the allergy stuff done, and then get recycled back. Okay, it's, that's crazy. It's crazy. It, it
0: is crazy. I guess you blaze the trail though. Yeah, I mean you. I, I have well, a or your grandfather to do
1: that. <laughs> my, yeah, my my grandfather definitely.
0: <laughs> oh, so. What did you do for the 10 years in between? I mean, you, you, I know you wanted to get back. So obviously you were pushing very heavily to get back into the, the forest. What was kind of slowing things down for you?
1: Um, money was first off, cause at the time the allergy testings were really expensive and I had just come off of my dad's insurance. So it was like $300 a shot. So I did as many shots as I could, um, So you had to go through that
0: whole, like, you know, where they poke your arm with, uh, really?
1: Yes. The (laughs) whole thing. They had to, they had to stick me. And because fire ants is such a rare, that's why it was so expensive because the allergy to fire ants is so rare. So I had to sit there and they had to stab me every three days. I was at the allergenist getting stabbed with fire ant venom to build up a tolerance and for like a month, a couple months. And then I ran out of money and I couldn't get no more. And, um, Did you go out so and I buy s- you
0: some red ants and just kind of put them on your arm and make them bite you? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: unfortunately in Michigan, we don't have fire ants like that. Being, I could import being a, you something. There. Uh, no, I'm good. I don't <laughs> want to. <it. laughs> um, so after, after that, I, I went to community college, um, uh, just, being a dumb kid at 19, uh, my dad's like, You're going to college. And I was like, Okay, fine. And because it wasn't on my own accord, I really didn't try that hard. I got a- like average, below average grades. Yeah. And then I started, I got sick of that. And um, so I started working in a machine shop, going from machine shop to machine shop, trying to find work. And Luckily, my cousin, he works for uh, his uncle's machine shop was pretty big, and they were they were building robotic platforms for a, a lot, like million-dollar contracts. It's crazy, crazy money. So their insurance was really, really good. And at the time, uh, my wife, who was just my girlfriend then, uh, my insurance paperwork came in. And she's reading through it, and then she starts tearing up. And I was like, what's wrong? She goes, your insurance covers allergy testing. I was like, no way. As soon as I read that, I ran, got my, got my card. As soon as my uh, insurance card came in, ran to the allergenist. I was like, I just need a test. That's all I need. Just need a test. Need a positive or a negative answer. That's it, so I can go on with my life. And it came back negative for allergies to fire ants. Wow. I, I took that. I took all my paperwork from boot camp the first time, walked in the recruiter's office. Bam, here you said, go. said, <laughs> let's do this. He goes, you're pretty thick. Uh, step on the scale. And at the <laughs> time, I weighed 270. He goes, come talk to me when you're 240. I was like, that's all I got to do lose lose 30 pounds and we're going to start my paperwork. He goes, no, we'll start talking. He goes, you get down to 240, we'll start talking. And I was like, alright, cool. Three weeks later or something like that, I come back and uh, he's like, there's no way. No way are you 240. I was like, alright, let me go weigh myself. Stripped down, got on the scale. I was like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm not 240, I'm 241. He's like, oh, <laughs> and uh he's like okay well what do you want to do i was like i want to join he goes do you have a job in mind i'm like nope i don't care i don't care about my job i was like i just want to be a marine that's all i want to do it's like a marine's a marine right doesn't matter what your job is he's like you're right he's like we'll start your paperwork when you're 230 i was like all right cool left come back a week later he looks at me he goes how nope i don't want to know I don't want to know how you're doing this. <laughs> don't tell me. I don't want to know. Stepped on the scale. I was like 229. He's like, you really want to be a Marine? I was like, you have no idea.
0: 41 pounds in like five weeks.
1: six. Yes. Weeks. Wow. Yes. And, um, that day he is like, he kept still, he, him and the staff NCOIC of the recruiting office were still like, why do you want to be a Marine so bad? I was like, gentlemen, do you have time? Can we go for a ride? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. Where do you want to go? I was like, let's go to my grandfather's, and then you'll understand. And uh, so get in the getting the govy, drive over to my grandfather's house, and they parked in the driveway. And, like, there's a door you can see where everyone usually goes in mm. to the house. And I was like, no, 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 no. We go around the front. So we go around the front door, and they're about to knock. I was like, nope, nope, gentlemen, ring the doorbell. They ring the doorbell. It starts playing the Marines hymn. <laughs> and my grandfather's like, who the hell's at my front door? And I was like, oh, it's just me, Nano. And he comes and opens the door. He goes, where'd you pick up this trash? And he's talking to me about the recruiters. <laughs> <laughs> love it. And he's like he starts he starts chirping at the one about my at my recruiter about his haircut. He goes, the hair's a little long on the top, ain't it?" And he goes, "Come on inside. Any any marine with my grandson's a marine, welcome in my house." So, my grandma being, both of them being first generation immigrants, my grandfather's Polish, my grandmother's Sicilian. She starts whipping up food and then my grandfather grabbed told me to go get his scrapbook from Iwo Jima shows him pictures of Barcelona's cross on on the beach and the black sands and all the pictures of him. And they just looked at each other and looked at me, and they're like, you're going in. By hell or high water, you are going in. And I was like, now you know.
0: Now you know. Now
1: you know. (laughs) And that's pretty much I ended up um, in six months, I ended up losing 80 pounds to ship for boot camp
0: oh wait from that moment from the moment that 220 yeah,
1: I, I went no so i went from 270 i got down to uh with weight fluctuation i ended up losing like 80 pounds to leave for boot camp six okay. months later wow so like um, like just a weight fluctuation going up of battling like that weight loss because there were some times where i sprung back up to like 230 235 and then i'd have to battle back down but mm-hmm. yeah i en- ended up shipping at boot camp going from 270 to Nine-ish to 212. Did you know what months.
0: MOS you were going into uh, at that moment? I
1: I did. Uh, I ended up picking combat engineer. Okay. Um, my recruiter was a combat engineer, and he's like, you get to play with explosives. And I was like, cool. Yeah. And then he tells me, you know, you get the lead patrols. So I was like, cool. And, uh, and then he shows me, like, the, the ABV, the armored breaching vehicle and all that stuff. And I was like, I'm sold. Put, put me down. He goes, now you understand that it's the engineer field you could end up driving bulldozers i'm like i don't care that's a trade that can translate out into the civilian world he goes all right fine and i was lucky enough to be at 1371 okay and i left i left all the patrol stuff and all that out when my when my family was asking me what are you gonna do i was like uh you know just i just blow stuff up i don't know.
0: When you went back to Paris Island, did you happen to meet your friends, the uh, the red ants there? And- oh my
1: gosh, yes! I saw them, and I told kids, I was like, "Stay away from them." That hey, like I don't care. I'd rather I was uh, I was I told a lot of kids I was like, I'd rather get thrashed by a drone than put my hand on another one of those ant piles. And now they do a safety brief about me at boot camp.
0: I told they you, give a, you're, you're a legend. You,
1: I mean, they,
0: they changed the regulation for you, you know? <laughs> they have your picture. They throw it up there.
1: Here. Here's yeah. Michael.
0: Let me introduce you to him. He stuck his hand.
1: And <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was the funniest thing. Like, it was so hard to keep my bearing when they're giving us a brief about fire ants. And I'm like, yeah, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> that's so crazy
0: <laughs> did you autograph everything for him uh the, <laughs> the drill uh. Uh, that's crazy so what was the first uh installation or first duty
1: assignment that you had uh second ceb campbell de june north carolina yeah uh. um I I picked the East Coast because I knew California was too expensive. <laughs> that yeah, was my right. first choice. <laughs> it's like anywhere but I was like anywhere but California. California is way too expensive. Yeah. So I, yeah, that was it. How long and were I never, you there? I actually ended up never leaving uh Lejeune. I was there for my eight years.
0: Wow, that's uh, is that that's kind of rare, isn't it? I mean,
1: it, it is. It, yes and no. Well, within the engineering community, so around Lejeune, you have. New River Air Station, and then you have um, Cherry Point Air Station, which we can go to the air wing. There's there's billets for us, there's units for us in the air wing because we're also tasked with um, tarmac repair, with runway repair. Mm -hmm. So we're and combat engineers are like they just sprinkle us around like salt (laughs) on food, like we're just used everywhere, utilized everywhere. Um, But my tour at Lejeune was mostly because of how soon I got injured in my career in the Marine Corps. So um got to Lejeune, got to my unit, we get orders, you guys are leaving for sang in Afghanistan in nine months. Get ready to do your workups. I was like, okay, cool. Like it is what it is. You gotta do what we're supposed to. Like Part of the job. Um, where other guys, like, I still don't understand this, like, desire to constantly deploy and be away. Like, I just, I never understood that. I just looked at it as part of the, like, deploying is just part of the job, mm-hmm. you know? Um, get to, get to Sangin'. I get, get hooked up with 1 5 Bravo, 1st um, Platoon. And, Everything's going good. First 5 days, I'm like I got like 8 or 9 patrols under my belt, having led patrols uh in and out of the countryside. And lieutenant comes up. Hey, we want to go to this village. I was like as a lance corporal, it's hard to really tell an officer, especially a new captain, it ain't happening, champ. Um as a sergeant, I would have had no problem doing it. But as a Lance Corporal, <laughs> them railroad tracks railroad tracks are kind of intimidating. Yeah. And I was like, sir, I, I hate to, like, with all due respect, like, we can't go back there. We were just there yesterday. Like, there's no safe route to where you want to go. We were literally just there yesterday. And for whatever reason, the chief warrant officer, the gunner, was, wanted to Go there. I don't. I don't know why he wanted to go on a patrol to that spot, and it was known to be a Taliban stronghold, like Taliban flag flying, the whole nine yards. We knew it was it was bad juju to go there more than once a week, um, just because they would backlay all of our patrols. They would literally that night go and backlay the route we took the night before. So I was like, "All right, sir, if you want to go there," I, you better be ready with that radio because you're going to have to call in a medevac. And that, sure enough, we, uh, we're we about 30 minutes into the patrol and across a, this open field looks just like just gra- like a grass field, like a regular grass field with little sticks sticking out of it. Um, and halfway through the patrol, somebody steps on an IED. Luckily, it low-debted only thing that popped was the blasting cap and it was buried so deep that it, the dirt just pushed up and then went back down wow. on top of it. And um, so I set up the front security, get everybody in place, get the get the full, the belt feds where they needed to be uh, to have good cordon and then I started coming back because they called me, they literally called me back. They had another Marine in the back of the patrol with a metal detector that could have swept another path around. But they're like, get the engineer back here to lead us through this field. I was like, I looked at the ace slash too. I was like, can you, can you make sure he wants me to go back there? He goes, Hey, sir, you, uh, you came in broken on clear. He's like, shut the hell up and tell the engineer to get back here. And he's like, uh, I think you heard that pretty clear. I was like, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was clear. Yeah. So I grabbed, I grabbed my, uh, my security, my, my, cause they gave us a designated marksman to walk with us. And usually the dispersion was like, he was usually five meters behind me. Yeah. And we got to the edge of the field and I was like, man, just, just give me, just give me another 10 meters, dude. He's like, so 15, I was like, we're pretty safe. I'm like, we're, everyone's spread out. Just, just give me like 15 meters and just try and step where I step. Okay. And he's like, okay. And telling that dude to get back another 10 meters saved his life. Cause he would have been right at the edge of the overpressure. And that would have, that would have been obliterated him pretty much. Um, I was on top of the IED when it went off. And luckily for me, it again, it low debted, but I took, It was a one Oh five packed with HME. And I, I took the top of the shell to my forearm and then I I went flying. Everything went black and I went flying through the air, landed on my head and neck. And, uh, I came to, and I did my own self check, laid there and made sure I didn't move out of my space. Just laid there, checked my chest, made sure that there was no blood. And then I checked my legs and then uh checked my arm and then I checked this arm. And as soon as I got to here, I could just see like my skin was flopped open and blood was just pouring down my arm. And thank to my medics uh being a pain in the ass in Lejeune and making us do uh tourniquet drills all the time. Put my own tourniquet on before anyone could even get to me. And um, and then I everything went black. The last thing, like, I can see is uh, one of the lieutenants in the patrol had a Mark 32 grenade launcher, and he stood over the top of me, and he was just letting loose with that thing. And, like, that was, like, the last thing I remember. And then I woke up 14 hours later on Bastion, in an all-Afghani ward because I wasn't severe, I wasn't severe enough injury to go into a normal hospital bed, so they just stuck me in this Afghani ward, and I come to, and all I'm looking at is Afghani faces. No, wasn't I was the only. Crazy. I was the only. And I was the only American coalition force. What you, you what think you, you were said.
0: stuck in the twilight zone. Or I mean, like it was the weird. craziest
1: thing ever. I it was the middle of the night. I just started cussing up a storm and here comes a British medic around the corner. Hey, hey, hey you're okay. I'm like, I'm not okay. I can't see my hand. What's going on with this? Like, what's going, who are you? Where, where am I? And he's like, you're on Baxter and you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Finally, I calmed down and, um, He's like, would you like to use a sat phone? I was like, sure, yeah, yeah, I'd like to use a sat phone. And I got in a wheelchair, wheeled myself outside, and called my wife from a sat phone. And she's like, hello? I'm like, hey, what's up? She goes, it's a little late there. Shouldn't you be asleep? I was like, uh. She goes, did you get blown up? And I was like, yep. And, like, I could hear her start to, like, get emotional and start to cry and all, like. And all that stuff and I go, Hey, 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 but it's okay. We can still have kids. She goes, You're such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and then um it took a, I was on Leatherneck for I think a couple more weeks and then I got sent to launch duel and then from Launch Duel back to Lejeune. That wow. was that was my first deployment. That was <laughs> my only depl- my only deployment wow and
0: and so there was no actual damage the nerves or anything like that or are you i mean um that I, mean had
1: okay? have, I had to have uh four surgeries on my wrist and i'm probably eventually i have to have a fifth uh they took five millimeters of bone out of my ulna and then put a plate in that and then had to reconstruct the ligaments of my wrist okay but yeah. i mean outside of that you know typical tbi ptsd stuff
0: oh yeah i could you know? only imagine
1: um, they found six lesions on my brain and, you know, it's, it's crazy It's crazy to think like how much the human body can endure.
0: Well, especially when it relates to like traumatic brain injury, you know, we've, we've done a couple of episodes on the topic and, you know, about the blast and, you know, the effects that it really has on your brain. I mean, even shock waves and then you have second and third waves and, you know, it's just the amount of of pressure that goes you know in that type of situation um yeah that's uh i mean what have they been able to to treat or have you gone through any type of treatments for traumatic brain injury or like Uh, ganglion block or anything like that
1: i haven't i haven't had to do anything like that or they haven't um got me that far. Uh, the best treatment I had, I'd have to say, was at the National Intrepid Center of Excellence in Bethesda. It's mm-hmm. also known as NICO. Um, it was like a 30-day outpatient treatment facility. They were linked up with Brown University and Johns Hopkins in Maryland. Um, and they basically they put you through the ringer for testing. And that's how they found the lesions, because they put me in a functional MRI and it was my my therapist, my psychi- psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever one they are, whatever one it is, um, she was the one who suggested it. She goes, I think, she's like, I think you're a good candidate for this NICO place because there's there's things we need to figure out because you should be progressing more than you are compared to other cases I've seen. Like, you should go, like, you're doing things like a normal person, but for whatever reason, you're you have hurdles I haven't seen yet. And Hmm. so she got me there. And uh, to this day, she, her and I still communicate and she still checks up on me. She's out in Texas now. I think she's still out in Texas. Um, But the, our first, our first session, she, she goes, I'm a non-prescribing doctor. I was like, yeah, Good, because all my buddies that are on meds are zombies, and I don't want to be like that. Yeah. She goes, okay, so just so you know, this treatment's going to suck. And I was like, we're just going to talk about my emotions. She goes, yeah, yeah, that's all we're going to do. I was like, okay. And she she was not kidding. It was exposure therapy is really brutal. It is not fun to go through exposure therapy. And there was a couple of sessions where she called me on my stuff and was like, hey, let's go on a field trip up to Bethesda to see your buddies that are missing limbs. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, I'm good. She's <laughs> like, oh, you're, you're done? Okay, glad to see you're back. I'm like, yeah, that, that puts me in check real quick.
0: Yep, that, that dose of reality, I guess, you know?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it slaps you right in the face. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, any other type of therapy or anything that you ended up going through?
1: Um, I'm actually trying to get into therapy right now with the VA. Um, I thought the I thought the VA nightmares were just like stories of like no. just like ones and twos because I was I was handled pretty well in the VA down in North Carolina, but once I got to Detroit and those two systems don't link up, it's been a nightmare. Like I've had doctors get changed on me without any notification uh can't get medication gotta run oh you need to run this blood test this blood test and this blood test again so you can get your refill of your prescription I'm like are you kidding me I've been on the same stuff for like eight years now and mm-hmm. you're gonna change it up on me like this is what I've been taking for the seven of my eight years in the marine Corps and you're you're gonna tell me no you can't have it like yeah take, take- like I had
0: it's crazy. I don't know what all the issues are. There just seems oh, to be our a staff, number of our
1: them. staffing is horrible in Detroit, yeah. and then, and then because I live within 30 miles of the city of the Detroit VA center, I have to drive down to Detroit instead of going up up into the sticks where like I know other people have gone to, other veterans have gone to a different facility, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. Yeah.
0: Wow, that sucks, man. So you end up spending the rest of your time in the June after you came back from deployment, never went Correct. back again, and then and then got out. So, because that was that was very early in your career then.
1: That wasn't, yeah, that was my first deployment. Nine months, nine months into my first contract,
0: and it's it's uh, kind of interesting that you didn't go back. But was it because you were non-deployable at that point, or?
1: So I went. So once I got uh, medevac back to stateside, I ended up getting sent to Wounded Warrior Battalion East mm-hmm. on Lejeune. And I spent two years in recovery there and I fought to actually return to full duty. So it wasn't that I was non-deployable, it's that officers weren't willing to take a risk on deploying me. Gotcha. Actually, my my first, I was with the MARSOC um, Marine Corps Special Operations Support Group. And I had worked my way into that, like found a program at Wounded Warrior Battalion, where I could intern at Marsoc. And then that ended up turning into me getting orders to Marsoc support group. Pardon me. And I wanted to deploy. I'm like, I like, I wanted to be a Raider. Like first thing first was, okay, join the Marine Corps. Being an engineer is cool. Ooh, this Raider life is what I want to do next. And so I was like, when I found the opportunity to intern at Marsoc, I was like, I'm going same thing went there doing everything i was supposed to um networking networking my butt off to try and get to support group so i could deploy with i think it was like first raider battalion was the next uh marsoc team going out and so um comes down to it and uh lieutenant colonel calls me in her office good afternoon ma'am how you doing is there something I can help you with she goes I wanted to tell you face to face that you're not going on the deployment you're not gonna do the workup I was like ma'am I don't, I don't understand why I'm I'm a corporal I'm like I'm seeing I'm one of the senior engineers here why are you sending two boot lance corporals straight out of the schoolhouse on this deployment where at least they should have me or one of the other sergeants. She goes, well, the other two sergeants are about the EAS. It's like, I'm not, I'm not EASing for another two years. She goes, I'm not taking the risk of sending you back to Afghanistan. When you just got off of three periods of limited duty for traumatic brain injury. Cause I know what you're going to do. Oh, what do you mean? You know what I'm going to do? She goes, I, I know damn well, son, that you're going to go on a patrol. You're going to try and help out the teams as much as possible. You're going to do everything in your power to make sure they are successful in their missions. I was like, well, that's my job, right? Right. right. And she goes, that is your job. But you know what? I need you to stay back here and train the new engineers coming in to go do that job. I was like... She goes, and any officer worth their salt of rank will not deploy you. She's like, it's not going to happen. She's like, if an officer deploys you, it's because they can't find or utilize you in a way that protects you from you. She goes, that's what you need. She goes, you need you. She needed, you need somebody to protect you, protect you from you. I was like, all right. All right. So I swallowed that hard pill of truth and I, I trained my Marines as best as I could.
0: You know, looking back on that, you probably think, you know, in a lot of ways she saved your life or at least being able to hug your grandchildren, play with them, do the things yeah. that maybe. My,
1: my wife was pregnant with my son at the time. Too. Yeah. She'd just gotten pregnant.
0: Yeah. And, and you don't think about it at that age. I mean, I think all of us, when we're young, dumb, and we're ready to run through a brick wall or you know, no, 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 put me in the fight. Let me get back in there. Type of mindset, yep. you know, because that's that's what we we're trained to do. Yet, <clears throat> when you have a leader that's like that, that knows better, and especially long term, probably wiser. The fact that she's lieutenant mm-hmm. colonel means that she's been, you she's know, been around. She's been stuff. around, yeah, and and she's certainly been in the service. And her age probably gives her the experience and the wisdom to be able to say, no, I'd rather save you now, and you're going to hate me for it, but in the long run, you're going to look back on this." and And you probably still live with some regret that that opportunity never was provided to you, but you're able to think about those things. You're able to think right. about you know what happened to you and all those types of things. Whereas if you'd have had another blast, God knows what would have happened with another oh, blast,
1: yeah. yeah. And so from there, um they had actually reorged support group to where they didn't rate combat engineers and so I was supposed to go from Marsoc support group to the weapons training battalion EOTG and work with them and doing like trying to be a good Marine and get the lay of the land and figure out where I'm supposed to report the day I'm supposed to report and talk to this master sergeant. And he was like, yeah, uh, we'll see about your orders. I was like, Roger, I check in next week. I just wanted to, you know, come in here and put face, you know, so you guys could see my face and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah cool i get back to my like literally the 10 minutes it took me to go from where they were to my my shop there i get a phone call yeah your orders have been changed to the marsock Schoolhouse, and i was like okay whatever it's just orders it is what it is grandpa called yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. What part of
0: simplified do you not understand? <laughs>
1: That's Exactly. It. So, so I get I get to the Marsack schoolhouse and uh, the Master Guns checking to win Master Guns, and he thought I was he thought I was pulling a, pulling trying to pull some wool over his eyes, and he's like, "Where's your, where's your service uniform?" I was like, "Master Guns, they don't make one big enough for me." He goes, are you kidding me? I'm like, it's been on special order for the last six and a half months. And until they get enough special orders, they don't make them. He goes, you're got to be kidding me. He's like, he goes, he goes, he literally like put his finger in my face and was like, you're lying to me, Marine. I'm <laughs> going to run you up the flagpole. And I was like, Master Guns, I never lie to you. I'll never lie to you. I would never lie to you. And sure enough, he calls up clothing, and they tell him this, they tell him the exact same thing. And he's like, well, damn. <laughs> and I was like, what do you want me to do? I got a 20-inch neck, Master Guns. Like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but it, so he, he goes, his first question goes, what do you want to do here at the schoolhouse? And I was like, besides my job to the best of my ability? He goes, yes. Besides that, I was like, I want to become a Raider. I want to go to ANS. He goes, well, you're in the right place because you in your shop, you'll have plenty of downtime to train and to prep for a and I was like, awesome. And he said, until you can run your three mile at my to where I'm satisfied with your time, you cannot apply for a I was like, very well. So I was doing all sorts of workups and all that stuff. And. My staff sergeant was reporting back to Master Guns, telling him, hey, he's doing this, 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 and this. He's improving here, here, and here. So Master Guns was like, okay, I want you to send him to the medical screening to see if he can get past that first. Mm. Sure enough, get to the medical screening. Here like, comes the
0: lieutenant colonel in the door.
1: They're like, do you have to take daily meds? I go, yes, yes, I do. I have to take Synthroid every day, and then I got to take... TRT once a week they go disqualified it's like what they're like unless you can get a doctor to say you don't have to take those things you are disqualified you cannot take daily meds while going to anS and and I was like <sighs> another one but I was like okay cool just roll with it right because it's what you got to do guys yeah for gumby always got to be flexible can't just I was like all right and I went back to my shop and worked my tail off um I finished like several projects that had been on the books for years that nobody ever wanted to touch or tackle and they're like hey Polly, come over here and we got something for you and I'm like what do you want they're like uh you have to do this i'm like me and just two guys are like yep Figure it out. I was like, "All right, cool." And uh, ended up getting getting awarded a uh, Navy Commendation Medal for a couple of my couple of my efforts. And then it just word spread. If you want anything done, call up the schoolhouse engineers. They'll take care of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's weird <that's> <laughs> that you kind of carved out just a different role. I mean, you 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 had to like roll with the punches as to what was going on. But I still think like. You know, again, as bad as it was, um, long term wise, it was a great decision.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's kinda like I had to I had to um working with my therapist, uh she's like, So what do you, you can't you can't go to ANS. You can't be a raider. So now what? Yeah. what do you do now? Not the end of your I life. Go, yeah. I go Well, I'm still at the schoolhouse. I'm still directly involved in the pipeline, I'm still mm-hmm. directly involved with their, their training protocols. I'm yep. still directly involved with helping the Raider teams get better. So, you know, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. This is what, this is what the support element is. Even if you're not a Raider, you support the Raiders so they can do their job. And, you know, boy, I worked my tail off so hard for the Raiders and like, I don't care. There, there were people that like would call me a Raider bunny and all this stuff because if they called, I answered and I went running because that's how I viewed my job was to support them no matter what. And it did, I did, you know, grind and grift with, uh-oh.
0: I can still, I can still got you.
1: Um I, I still, I, you know, I, I, I had some issues with uh, non-Raider type staff NCOs that thought the Raiders were just a bunch of prima donnas and pretty boys but I looked at them as you know what they're if they didn't have the attitudes they did they'd be no good at their job so it is what it is man like mm-hmm. and I got along well enough with them all that they like would go to bat for me over anyone else there was there was one incident where me and my staff and CO my staff sergeant we were getting into it hot and heavy and like screaming back and forth at each other and uh one of the one of the raiders one of the staff sergeants sees sees it walks up to the shop and grabs me and pulls me away and he goes do not ruin your career for that asshole part of my language but that's exactly grab me look me in the eye and do not ruin your career for that asshole. he goes if you get that heated You know where my office is. Go and sit down and cool off. And sure enough, like 20 minutes later, the the mass sergeant that was in charge of the section we supported called down. And I see the staff sergeant go walk up to the head shed to the main building and about an hour and a half later comes back and he goes, I've never had a junior Marine, get me in so much trouble and I can't do anything. What do you mean, Steph? He goes, I don't know what you do around here that makes you untouchable. I was like, I don't get that. I don't get why would you say that to me? I don't understand what makes me. I'm not untouchable. He goes, From me, you are. I can't do nothing to you. He's like, You are so scrutinized. You are so watched over. You are so, so many people. Look out for you. He goes, There's nothing I can do. I can't NJP you. I can't write you up. He goes, Your negative remark, he's like, There's nothing I can do. I was like, Well, staff sergeant, I put out. That's all I can tell you. And he's like, it was disgruntled. Like our, our relationship what that was the worst relationship I had with a staff NCO. Mm. My entire eight years. Everyone else, I never had any problems, except for that one. There's always Just one. The one
0: always one there's always <laughs> you know? one and and what this uh, sad part about it is is that you not only meet them in service you meet them out of service as well they're they're everywhere yeah. there's always that yeah. one you're going to run across always it. that
1: always that one there's always that one guy but you know what that's that experience in the marine corps has definitely taught me how to have a separate a professional and personal relationship with people i'm working with yeah yeah well, like it, like,
0: it taught you to the uh, idea of um, probably hard work pays off too. you know, I mean, you weren't yes. doing anything again, you know, they may have been calling you a Raider bunny and the whole thing. But the the way that those guys saw it was that you're doing more than the average Marine that they would see who is not a Raider, perhaps. And they saw you more as one of their own. And that's all you asked for is to gain respect. And that's what they were giving you was that respect and and everybody else is probably jealous of it you know Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i i could see that
1: but i mean i even so i coach i'm the head i'm the varsity lacrosse coach at uh at a local high school i was gonna ask you what you do now yeah yeah that's so i i i'm a full-time student and i coach i'm the varsity lacrosse coach and i'm i just this past two weeks ago was brought up to varsity football to be O uh, O-line coach, no, offensive congratulations. line coach. Um, so, but for lacrosse, like our mascot is the tar, which is a sailor. And there's no like real definition of it, but to help motivate the kids and to be proud of being a tar, I'm like a tar is a um, mercenary. Like it is, it is a sailor for hire. It's somebody, the best of the best of the best. That's what a tar is. And, um, I called up one of the one of the operators, and I was like, "Hey, man, I would love if I could, with your guys' permission, fly your colors." And I was like, "Can you please don't just? I just don't want to go off your word. Can you talk to some of the other guys and like give give them, if if you guys feel like I'm I'm deserving of being able to fly your colors, I would love it. Um, if not," It is what it is, and I understand. I'm not one of you. <clears throat> About an hour and a half later, he goes. I called up the the Satsi. I called up the the all the boys from from Satsi too. You got a green light, kid. Do it. Run it. Run it up. Do what you got to do. And so, like. I was like, I was like, so shocked and like so emotional. Like, I was like on the phone, like, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much!" <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Shut up, bro just just do the just do the colors proud, man. That's all we ask. That's <laughs> all we ask. is you do the colors proud." And I was like, "All right, oh." But the kids haven't earned it yet. They haven't earned a fly. The Raider I was gonna say, flag. do they
0: do they know what it stands for? You know, do no, they, What have, it represents.
1: I've, I've given them bits and pieces and I've showed them the Raider flag and I've showed them the Raider patch and I've given them a little bit of the history of the Raiders going back to world war two. Um, and they know my story and this is crazy. Kids are crazy when they want to know stuff about somebody, oh, them. they go and find out They'll research. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, <clears throat> so it was like my second or third week coach on lacrosse as an assistant. And all of a sudden, I, like, hear kids that are standing around, like, the whispers. What are you all talking about? And they're like, Coach, so is it true you got blown up? I'm like, uh, yes. What are you you guys talking about? They're like, well, so-and-so Googled your name and found your story online and saw all these pictures of you in uniform. I was like, some of the stories are true. Some of the stories are embellished a little. What do you want to know? And so I told them, I told them everything and I, and I, I, didn't sugarcoat it and I use my story, um, as this shows mentors for military, I use my story to mentor yeah. my high school kids.
0: Yep. That's what it's all about.
1: And a lot of it's, it doesn't work for all of them. And I get that, you know, kids that kids that are in situations where they're well to do where things where life isn't that hard, it doesn't really affect them the same way as it does a kid who's, you know, doesn't know what him and his mom are going to eat that night. Or mm-hmm. if, if his mom's car is going to start in the, the next morning. Yeah. Um. So that's, that's how I use my story. And, and it's, I've had a lot of parents come up to me and they're like, you wouldn't believe the change that you've, you've instilled in our kid. And I was like, I was like, ma'am, you know what? You guys, you guys put the building blocks there. I'm just another tool. Like you guys, you guys as parents are the reason your kids doing X, Y, and Z. I'm just a beacon for them to look towards for them to use those things that you had already given them. As a parent
0: though, I think you probably recognize that you can teach your kids and tell them all kinds of different things, but somebody else, Will say the same exact words and they'll (laughs) listen to that. So, you know, so you're right. They probably did lay some of the foundation, but they're going to get what you say is going to be more impactful. Right.
1: But, you know, it's, it, it helps though that, that the community I'm coaching in is a really down to earth, like grassroots community. Like there's, it, Like the, it's very mixed economically. There's, there's definitely the poorest of poor and there's definitely those that are very well to do. And, um, to see that, that melting pot of a community that, that isn't a boundary between everyone,
0: Mm.
1: like it is in other areas. I also run the weight room, the strength and conditioning program. And, you know, buddy, buddy, everyone wants to be with their buddy. I don't I don't I don't play that game. Like I had a really bad experience in high school and elementary school and middle school with with getting bullied and I see those I can see those signs and like I'll tell everybody get in single file line and then I just start counting off numbers. And they're like, wait, what? I can't I'm not with I don't I don't care you're not with that person. This is your group. Stay with your group. You don't leave your group. And it's really the upper, the older kids really doesn't bother them that much. But the younger kids, because right now we're working a lot with um, seventh and eighth graders in the weight room for mm-hmm. our summer our summer strength camp, speed camp, whatever you want to call it. And when you separate those kids, they look at you like their world is ending. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, that's my friend. I'm supposed <laughs> Nope. Nine more. You're over here. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know them that's the point you don't know them so you're over here yeah and then girl and like mixing in girls working with guys like it's crazy how strong girls at a young age are compared to boys yeah and they'll look at the the disdain and disgust they have when they're outlifting a boy is hilarious (laughs) because they're just like you can't do that are you (laughs) kidding me (laughs) <laughs> like oh my god like the savagery i'm like what what in the world yeah it's it's awesome i love it i love seeing little kids compete in in the school district i'm coaching in um they've settled they've they've settled for mediocrity and myself and the head football coach he was actually the head football coach was my f- football coach when i was a freshman in high school and i come from a school where we have an athletic tradition across the board, all athletics. Like, oh, you're playing Chippewa Valley? Put your big boy pants on because you're going to go for a ride. You may win, but you're going to know you're in a game. And uh, the school I'm at now, you know, the, it's it's crazy to see a level of acceptance of mediocrity that I just – it I don't understand.
0: Mm-hmm. And – you see it um, on a lot of sports and across a lot of even colleges and stuff it's
1: uh it drives me nuts yeah it's
0: it's there isn't that drive um I don't see as much and i'm not just saying it's a generational thing I just say today there's it's becoming harder to find people with the can do attitude
1: yes abs- yeah absolutely at all ages yeah and and um that is like <clears throat> I went and vis—I actually went and visited a couple of my buddies from that I met in MARSOC a couple weeks ago in Kansas City, and we were playing this game that one of the colonels had created, which is absolutely fun. It's called Speedball, and so we go. I go out to Kansas City, and my buddy's like, "I, I got a Speedball game set up for us to play." I was like, "Yes, let's go do this," and he goes, "But wait." I go, "What do you mean, but wait?" There are no rules to this game other than it's two-hand touch. Like, that is it. What do you mean, but wait? He goes, you got to dial it back a little. I was like, dial back what? He goes, your level of intensity. I was like, not a chance. Not a (laughs) chance. Nope. They're getting all of it. They're getting all of it. And uh, he's like, all right somebody better have a video camera ready. And he was just, it was, it was just a really, really great time, but it feeds back to that, not having a can do attitude, people not wanting to ramp it up and get intense and, and have that level of competition and, and wanna, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. Just to push, push the limits to see where your limits are and see how far you can push them.
0: And most people don't, know what their limits are anyway they think they know what their limits are but to your point they don't push it far enough to see just how far that goes
1: right and that's 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 why i really love the weight room because your limits in the weight room can be pushed so much further than you think especially my favorite exercise exercises are squats and deadlifts just because when you're squatting and you got you got 90% of your one rep max on the bar and it feels like the world's coming down on you and you don't know if you can stand up. And once you get down to the bottom of the squat and then you stand up and like that feel, that feeling of accomplishment of squatting that weight. I like to me that that is just as therapeutic as spending an hour speaking with a psychologist or a psychiatrist because it's the way, way to the world lifted off your shoulders. Something you didn't think you can do, you totally did.
0: Hmm. I could totally see you as a strength coach and as a coach in general, but definitely as a strength coach. To the voice, the way it's coming across, (laughs) you know, you know, I mean, like big energy,
1: yeah. Oh, that's it's funny. um, It's funny you say that because we were we were talking about uh, a a play that we wanted to put in our playbook today with the offensive lineman, and it was a play I ran in high school and and the 77 year old head offensive line coach is talking about this play i'm getting the tingles in my high school kids yeah my high school kids are sitting there like oh just another day and then they run through it and then i lose it i was like what are you doing This is this is the play of all plays. This is the holy grail. You should be foaming at the mouth like a rabid dog when this play is called. Like there's there should like every ounce of energy, muscle, fiber, skin, like your nerves should just be electrified. Oh 86? 86? Oh, yes, yes. You should literally line up on the line, point to the guy you're about to obliterate, and I'm Coming for you, bro. Coming. They're like, they're looking at me like, I'm crazy. I probably looked crazy. (laughs) But some of the kids, like some of the kids afterwards are like, coach, but don't I want to be slick about it. Like, who cares? Who cares? That is the mental advantage that you believe in yourself so much that it doesn't matter who is at the end of the line or who you have to pull and block. It's self-belief. You have to believe in yourself, in your abilities, in your strength, in your preparation that you can hit that kid, put him on his back, ten toes are facing the sky, and we're scoring a touchdown. No matter who's at – I don't care if it's a defensive end, Purdue. You tattoo that guy with every being you got. You may win. You may lose. But you never change your mental attitude. And there's – eyes deer in headlights and the and then the 77 year old coach he's, get, he's, he's like, getting fired yeah. up. <laughs> he's getting fired let's go oh, but my- it, 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 it's it's that's why i love coaching because like i can get to kids at a point in their age and a point in their development where they're unsure of themselves and all it takes for me, it was my grandfather. For me, it was my grandfather was, you can, you can. There is no you can't. You can. And he did it in a way where there was no negative uh, feeling coming out of it. Where there is, like, sometimes when people are trying to tell you you can, you can, there, you have that negative connotation that comes off or that negative aura that comes off. But I'm at the point with these kids where it's like you can do anything if I can walk away from being blown up from 105 millimeter artillery shell, spend two years in recovery, teach myself how to run, walk and lift again and be a Marine again. You can have the ability to smoke check some other high school kid playing football. There's nothing that you can't do. And that's and, and this is this is why Nick and I, Nick Goldie and I, have such a great bond is because when we met he was at a spot where he needed a little help. He was it was a little dark for him still, and he wasn't he wasn't out of the woods yet. He was peering, he was coming to the the hedgerow, but he wasn't sure how to step out. And my level of energy helped him realize I can. So, yeah, it's powerful. That's where, man. The, that's where the story goes.
0: And, and, and sometimes that's all we need, uh, you know, is to have somebody that's there that gives us back and instills back in us that confidence that,
1: uh, Hey, mm-hmm. drive on, you know, lift your right. head up, keep charging. And, and I look, you know what? I, it's, it's kind of cliche, but I, one of the military leaders I look up to for my motivations, Jacko Willink. Like his, I read, I read my son his story, the way of the warrior kid, and now my son every morning is doing pushups and air squats.
0: He's not you taking know? black and white pictures of his watch at four thirty in the morning,
1: is he? No, <laughs> no, no. But he's up early enough. <laughs> my my wife stays <laughs> up. He's up early enough to work. Or of like, the
0: sweat hey, and a black yeah, and white photo on the concrete you know, right. on his Instagram. Angel, Yeah. The sweat post. angel. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the sweat <laughs> angel. <laughs> but that's, you know, everyone like that's, that's someone who I look up to within the military. And then yeah. like the, the Raiders that I worked with, like to see, uh, where they're at. Like, uh the one guy I still talk to almost on a daily basis, if not every other day is, uh, Cody Alford. He just started his own company. We defy the norm. Mm hmm. And the message he has for.
0: Yeah, Marsak guy.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's one of the OGs. He's, he's an original. He came from Force Recon. He was when they first stood up Marsak. Because um, he, he, he was also a huge dude when he served in the Marine Corps. He was a huge dude. And he, like.
0: He's still pretty gave solid me, now.
1: He, oh, in yeah. The photos just, I see. I, Never yeah, met him. He's, he's, yeah. He's a pretty, he's pretty stout. Um, but he's, he's somebody that was an inspiration to me. And he saw me working my tail off in the Stone Bay gym where Marsock's at, Marsock's at. He saw me working my butt off and was like, good on you, kid. Good on you for not allowing me to conform to, oh, you're six foot. You have to be 202 pounds. Good on you for not being afraid to have to go and in, go into weigh-ins and know that you're gonna have to get taped mm-hmm. Good on you for trying to set a new standard and I like I could I there are so many people within my career in the Marine Corps that I have to have to give so much so much credit to for being mentors to me.
0: Mike, I appreciate you coming on the Mentorship Military uh, podcast. And uh, more importantly, I'm thankful for Goldie, for Nick, to, to refer me to you so that I can get this opportunity to talk with you about your story. Um, I really look forward to hearing more about how you're coaching and mentoring those kids out there, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, molding them into the the great human beings that we want them to be, you know, to where they can survive out there. It's not going to be an easy world as they continue no.
1: on no it's not yeah
0: but really appreciate your time mike wish you nothing no, I, but the best
1: thank you thank you would likewise this is awesome thank you for having me on uh this is a great experience and you know it's therapeutic being able to tell my story um as much as hard as it was in the beginning now i see its purpose <laughs>